Hi friends! Welcome to Charlie and Steve Watch Stuff, and today we're watching Batman the Animated Series. My name's Steve Selnick, and joining me today, as always, is my good friend, Charlie Peppers. Charlie, how you doing today, man? Doing well, my dude. Well, we're, we're back in 2024, gonna continue watching Batman the Animated Series, and we have a couple of episodes that we're gonna jump into shortly, but now that we're a couple of weeks into the new year, Charlie, I just wanted to check in with you and, and see how the year is treating you so far. Is it new year, new you, or are you just kind of feeling business as usual? Tell us about how things are going. Business as usual. I, I'm pretty happy with how things are going in life right now. A lot of the seeds that I planted for 2024 are going to bear fruit. I'll just leave that where it is. Love my boyfriend, love hanging with you on this podcast, love many, many of the things. So let's do this. How about you? How's your 2024 going? It's good so far. My birthday is actually on New Year's Eve, so I recently celebrated a birthday, which is always a fun way to ring in a new year. I would always joke that no one ever says no to anything I want to do on New Year's because it's my birthday. <laughs> this year, that manifested in a little bit more of a relaxed way, but I guess that's what happens when we get older and more mature, or I guess that's sometimes what happens when we get older and maybe more mature. But yeah, so far so good. A lot of this, uh, I also have a couple of new things maybe on the horizon knock on wood we'll see how it all pans out but i i think that's part of a, a new year and looking forward to some opportunities that we want to create for ourselves and i'm feeling pretty good going into it it's funny you introduced me to the concept of yes and and how that works in a writer's room and i actually i'm thinking about this right now because i did this in therapy earlier today where I'm attempting to yes and some of the positive things that I've done for the last year. Mm. So I'm take I'm take instead of being like, oh, I didn't do this enough or I wish I did this more, I'm trying to take some of the positive things that I did last year and I'm trying to build upon them by going, okay, yes, I did this and now I'm going to continue doing this or I want to try and do this. So I'm feeling very positive on that. So I have you to thank for injecting a little bit of positivity in the concept of yes and to me and how I'm using that in the start of my year. You're very welcome. Also, Steve, you deserve that. You deserve that positivity in your life. You're a wonderful person. You kick ass always. And my friend, I'm very, very excited to see you shine in this new year. Oh, back at you, baby. Back at you for sure. Well, let's shine on and talk about some Batman, the animated series. Coming up today, we have two episodes. It's never too late. And I've got Batman in my basement, and we're going to start off today with It's Never Too Late. It's Never Too Late was released on September 10th, 1992. The story was by Tom Ruger, teleplay by Garen Wolf, and it was directed by Boyd Kirkland. The episode depicts the climax of a long gang war between rival Gotham City bosses Arnold Stromwell and Rupert Thorne. Sensing an opportunity to try and resolve it peacefully, Batman attempts to convince Stromwell to retire. I actually, I want to park here for just one moment because I don't know if there's a lot of positives we're going to be saying about these two episodes today, but I did want to highlight one positive that I liked coming off of this, which was I liked that the episodes right after, or this episode right after the Two-Face episodes directly dealt with Thorne again. 
I actually really liked that we kept him in the center of our view and it wasn't just like, okay, we're going to do away with him for a while. Maybe he'll come up later. Like it's actually kind of showing a rise to power for him through the Two-Face story into this, like however the story works for you or it doesn't. Like I actually liked that there was a little bit of a through line that continued from those last episodes, which were really strong into this episode has however we felt about it. What do you think about that? You know, you know, hearing you say that makes me appreciate that Thorne did stick around for a little bit longer because in that way the show mirrors the Batman comic, Batman Year One. And though the cartoon isn't technically Batman's first year of being a vigilante, he is still feeling his way around how he wants to do his job and having more street-level old-school gangsters be a big threat i think that we've had quite a few or maybe you know three or four episodes that don't deal with one of his costumed villains and that's to the strength of the show because as the show goes on episodes like this don't happen because batman's villains get a little bit more brazen and they get more i'm not gonna say ridiculous they get a little bit more bloodthirsty and it's that vicious cycle of the more prominence that batman has the more prominence that his rogues gallery has so this feels very much like year one maybe year two rogues gallery and i think that that works to the show's benefit even though i kind of hate this episode I, we could just do this here. I agree with you. I just feel like any episode that we've had so far where it doesn't involve an explicit Batman villain, even if they are a gangster, I just don't feel like Rupert Thorne does it like anyone else does. So like even that episode back with the Forgotten where we're in that prison with nameless pig face bad guy man like we weren't as moved by that than having an actual villain with a reason to go after batman but i i totally agree with that read and i like how you can can equate it to that so let's just jump right into the episode the setup is pretty clear from the onset stromwell's out thorn is in we've got commissioner gordon on the news saying so quick riddler trophy right here if you go back and look closely enough in this episode you actually see that they misspelled commissioner on the news report it's uh they, they miss an s it's just commissioner um so good job by them <laughs> and good find by the wiki of the episode and, and at the same time they're establishing that th- this guy is kind of on the outs he's old he's run down one of his goons is like be careful of your heart condition boss and also that his son is missing and that he presumes that it's thorns doing and he's he's like okay i'm gonna meet with this guy like he's obviously coming for my my throne i i'm sure he has my son and i'm i'm gonna fold and i'm gonna meet with with thorn and we're gonna see what this guy wants smash cut over to thorn and his bullies being like, yeah, we're going to kill this guy. Like, we're just going to take him out the second we see him. And we get appearance number two right here of Homeless Bruce. Mm-hmm. He's the he's the guy that gets lifted out of the bar being like, okay, buddy, time to go. You've had one too many. But that's how Bruce knows that this thing is going down because that's actually Bruce Wayne in disguise as his counterpart, again, from The Forgotten, where he was pulled into that prison labor sort of situation. And we're kind of all getting like a smash meeting coming together where we, the audience, know how it's going to go. Now, we have a quick moment 
And this is the first part that the episode loses me a little bit, and I would love for you to jump in here, Charlie. They kind of insert this first meeting with Batman and the priest right here. We have, like, the, the Batman's like, be there, and the priest is like, you think he'll listen to me, but we don't really get why. And we'll get to, like, the resolution that this, like, maybe, like, the reveals or the twists that I think this episode was trying to hide. But to me, this first scene felt so fucking random. I just didn't get why Batman was talking to a priest. Did you, like... Did you capture that at all? It really stuck out to me because it felt torn straight out of Daredevil. Daredevil has a lot of Catholic guilt. I'm not sure if that was intentional or not, but that doesn't seem like Batman's character. It doesn't seem like Batman would have a running relationship with the priest because religion's never been a big part of his character. But if the priests were an informant which would be interesting because priests are supposed to be sworn to secrecy but if that were the relationship i would buy it a little bit more it felt like it belonged on another show and like the writers forgot who batman is for a second well you know what i'm honestly i'm just gonna skip to the end and spoil it because a if you're listening to this you probably watched the episode and b like it kind of it doesn't really matter that we're doing this now. It's like, because the, the other thing that we're going to talk about is this little like PTSD flashback that Stromwell has on the way to the meeting. And it's him and as a boy walking with this other boy down the train tracks. And they have this like dire moment where it seems like Stromwell is going to get hit by a train. And at the end of the episode, you find out that that boy is actually the priest. And you also find out that the priest saves him and then gets hit by the train. And you think he's dead but it's actually, he is okay because it's the priest now and he's got a wooden leg. And then after all of that, we f- we finally find out that it's his brother. <laughs> like, we don't know that it's his brother until literally, like, it's the last fact that's shared with us. That part really gets me. It's an ambitious story, I'll give them that, but it doesn't feel like Batman. This episode did not feel like Batman. One, there was no metaphor surrounding a villain that was a mirror reflection of batman like we had two-faced last episode batman was hardly in it and even the way that batman handled it he was more of a guiding light and a voice of reason for the criminal element that he usually takes down which in the real world that's great but in my cartoon i want violence i want batman up against somebody (laughs) that I'm concerned is going to kill him or not. I wasn't worried about Batman this episode. I wasn't worried about the person that Batman was helping. It just felt very low stakes to me and very random. There there was just basically no effort. Like, I would have much rather that first scene being like, but he's your brother and establish that. Don't make it like it's this random priest and you're like, and then make it implied that it's also the person in that scene. And then when it's all resolved at the end, you have more context for it. Look at me giving notes for once. Anyway, let's get to the violence. How about we get to some violence? How, Does how, that sound good? How about we get to the violence? I think that's a that's a good yeah. idea, Steve. Let's, let's get to some violence. We'll get to the meeting. It's at Pete's. Good old Pete's. The best cannolis in town. That f- dumb fuck. Harvey Bullock. Stromwell... So first of all, we know that Thorne intends to kill Stromwell here. He's like, when Pete leaves, that's your five-second cue. Get the F out of there. It's going to blow. 
So he gets everyone else to leave except for Stromwell by saying, let's talk man on mano y mano, you know, that the way that those masculine men do. Thorns immediately getting his shirt rung up in his face, being like, where's my son? Stromwell's like, you kidnapped my son. And Thorne's like, I didn't do that. And you kind of like believe him right away, being like, I wouldn't mess with family. Like, I think the animation actually does a good job of being like, whoa, like the, this isn't something that I'm doing. Oh, 100%. I believed him for a second there too. And then just immediately goes back to blowing him up. <laughs> Be like, I wouldn't mess with your family, but I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you dead. <laughs> But luckily, Batman's there, saves his ass. A quick Riddler trophy. This episode contained many references to gangster movies. I feel like gangster plot, gangster movies, easy parallels to make. Batman has Stromwell now, and he's essentially, and you called out later that there's some, like a ghost of Christmas past sort of vibe. We'll pull this Riddler trophy in right now. Both A Christmas Carol and It's a Wonderful Life are referenced as direct inspirations for this section of the episode, sort of like showing the person and all of their wrongdoings involving these flashbacks to the past and having them resolve to becoming a better person by the end of it. A little bit of a bumpier path for our guy Stromwell than maybe some of the other characters, but we can we can get into the semantics of that. Very ambitious for a, I think that this was a 22 minute episode or 22, 24 minutes. The fact that they took such a confident swing and tried to do so much, I applaud them, but at the same time, not the platform. Like, this wasn't the place to do it. And I think that they overestimated how interesting the reveal of him being Stromwell's brother would be to the audience. You mean not? (laughs) It just wasn't. Anyway, we're having this Ghost of Christmas present moment where Batman takes Stromwell to the neighborhood where he was originally selling drugs and now manufactures his drugs, his unnamed drugs, I did love him going prove it both times. That was actually really clever because technically he couldn't. And I really liked that. But he drags him inside and inside one of the recovery rooms in this drug rehab clinic is his son. And I would assume his now divorced wife, they reference his marriage falling apart a couple times. So I, I would say that they're separated and that his life is falling apart in general. And this seems to be the thing that convinces Stromwell to flip and become a snitch and basically like take down his whole drug operation do you have any thoughts on this do you think that this are you surprised that that's where his son was or do you think it was effective do you think this was just like a hidden 90s psa for dare like what do you what do you read on this little moment it definitely reeks of a psa for dare that's what it comes across as you know what I'll give the episode some credit in saying that Bruce, or more so Batman, was drawn to helping because it was a father and a son. Maybe he was Mm -hmm. projecting a bit about maybe if he was able to help his dad or if his dad was able to fight off the goon that ended up killing his parents in front of him in the back alley. So I think that Batman had an emotional investment in this just because it was a father and a son in a family that had been broken. That is how I can salvage it in my head, but seeing them reunited really did nothing for me. It, yeah, and you know what really makes it do nothing for you? The fact that he literally flips on Batman quite literally in the next scene. Mm-hmm. He is actually just a gigantic piece of shit and doesn't give a shit about his son. 
because he would rather protect himself and his empire than do a little bit of good and take down the thing that potentially killed his own blood. But you know what? That's the way he went. And so when they're in this room, Batman realizes right away that the file that Stromwell gives him is a dummy file. Stromwell tries to pull a gun on him. And just when it seems like Stromwell is going to shoot Batman, Thorne shows up, tosses a tear grass grenade through the window, and a fight is on. We get a little stealth Batman action. I actually really liked the scene where the two goons were coming in and he uses the unconscious body of the big one to take out the other guy as kind of like a dummy shield and, and roll through and kick some ass. So we got some redeeming moments in there. But in the, the craziness of the fighting, Stromwell runs away. And oh, a look at the narrative convenience. We're suddenly back at the train tracks where all of the PTSD flashbacks were happening. And we get the full flashback. It's young Stromwell uh, with someone named Michael. Again, we don't know who Michael is yet, technically. Uh, this train is coming down the tracks. They're like, we got to get out of here. His foot is stuck in the tracks. His friend comes along and saves him. But look, another train is coming in the other direction. And uh, his friend once again throws him off the tracks and seemingly is killed by the train. But then he comes out of this vision to his friend, Michael, who is the priest. And he was basically like, why did you save me? You knew I was bad. You lost, you like almost died because of it. You lost your leg. And he's like, good thing I have this wooden one. And he knocks on it and it makes a sweet wood sound. And then we find out it's his brother. (laughs) It's so bad. It's so funny. I am, um, I'm I'm training honestly by the time this comes out it might be more public knowledge but I'm I'm training to do a new fitness oriented job right now and one of the things that I just worked on really hard in my last training session was just the order in which I say things and doing it in the correct order so everyone knows what they're doing at the right time mm-hmm. and I just feel like this is an example of they didn't exactly know in what order to reveal all of the information so everyone felt aligned with what is happening <laughs> And I understand that they're trying to do something ambitious and trying to make it like this twisty, splashy story in 22 minutes. I just was like, man, the order of events here were just so out of whack. Yeah, they actually, the creators of the show, they referenced this as feeling more like a mini-movie. It's one of the directors, Boyd, the guy who directed this episode, it's one of his favorites, actually. Because he... That's fucking nuts to me. Yeah, I think it's... (laughs) because it's a movie he wanted to make outside of the show and this gave him a chance to kind of make it like a short film if you will but it did not belong here she doesn't even go here art is so subjective my god well that apparently is the thing that finally broke the stromwell's back proverbially and he's now going to renounce his criminal ways and talk to the DA and take down his reign of drug crime. So it wasn't the imminent death of his son from drug overdose. It was him feeling guilty about almost killing his brother and his brother telling him that it was okay. Great stuff. I I guess we will give one final Riddler trophy on the plot, which is Rupert Thorne is now the reigning crime boss in Gotham City in all episodes moving forward. So the promise to retire from Stromwell is a good one. Let's talk a little bit about just the overarching themes. We talked about it being a mini movie a little bit. We also talked about that maybe it falls a little bit flat without a villain that's not as high stakes 
with Batman or as fleshed out from a character standpoint? Is there anything about kind of like the, the arc of redemption that Stromwell goes on here that you want to comment on before we go into our last little bits of info and our batarang for episode one? You know, I'm, I'm both for and against what this episode tries to do. I think that they did or they attempted a redemption arc much more successfully with the Two-Face episode of Bruce having already had an established relationship with Harvey Dent for a number of episodes before coming in super hot with I want to help you, all isn't lost. I like seeing Batman's compassionate side because it's what makes this version of him stand out and so, so special and dear to my heart. However, however, I think that his compassion was misplaced in this episode and that he could have been a little bit more discerning with does he trust Stromwell like should he have seen him pulling a gun on him before it happened like just him going so above and beyond to get this drug lord to stop maybe this is a bit more of Bruce in his younger years when he had the energy to do this with the crime boss rather than just taking them down because if you really think about Mm -hmm. it the type of work that Bruce is doing, he's doing work on this man's soul more than just throwing him in Arkham or behind bars. Because if he's able to just get him to reconnect with his son and stop selling drugs entirely, then he's doing more good than throwing him in prison where he'll get out and come back even stronger. You know, I get the, I like the idea. I hate the execution. I think if you replaced all of the PTSD stuff with his son finding himself in that rehab clinic, like if you spent the first five minutes of this episode of not knowing who his son was, but watching him like acquire these drugs, you're obviously not going to see him do the drugs, but then like having the physical breakdown and ending up in the clinic and like Batman kind of paying witness to all of this and then you know that Stromwell has some connection and then you find out that that's his son, I think it might make the narrative hit a little bit harder. I just like, they tried to make us care about him in a way that I feel like you could have just used the son a little bit more the whole time and made it more about that and made him more human that way rather than like give him this traumatic event that seemingly informs why he's a criminal although they were laying out pretty clearly that he was going to be a bad guy with the fact that he was stealing candy mm-hmm. and stuff like that so i don't know this episode was weird let's let's give our final batterings unless you want to add anything else is there anything else you want to add or should we should we rate the shit and get on to the next one we can rate the shit and move on now so actually i just want to before we do this do you feel like because we're also sort of lukewarm i feel like i'm a little less lukewarm on this next one than you are but do you feel a certain amount of letdown after because two-face was like top like the best episodes we've watched so far do you feel like moving forward if we get episodes that are not as high caliber as them do you feel like they're gonna hit you a little bit flatter because of that yes 100 percent. you know i give this show a lot of grace because i think some of the clunkers happen earlier rather than Mm. later season three of batman is probably my favorite and i think that i'm in the minority here but i think that i was at an age when i was a kid 
where I appreciated a little bit more and also as a writer I noticed that they tightened up so much of the pacing and the voice acting and what makes these characters work redesign elements aside I think that the best is yet to come and with episodes that let me down like this I just know that they are we're just getting the bad stuff out of the way before we get to masterpiece after masterpiece after masterpiece so i'm gonna be disappointed yeah but i i know it's coming not mad just disappointed <laughs> not that not mad disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> like the parents we are so on that note what, what's your battering rating for it's never too late I'm giving this half a battering. Half a battering? Not even a full. Damn! Not even a full. Woo! I don't even care enough to throw a full battering at them and knock them unconscious. They get a half battering. Wow. Oh, damn. I thought I was being harsh with my one single battering. But the first, folks, you are here for the first half battering ever levied upon an episode of Batman, the animated series. Well, honestly... I got nothing else for that one. Half a battering from Charlie, one full battering from me. Let's let's put that one in our rear view and move on to I've Got Batman in My Basement. The episode I've Got Batman in My Basement was released on September 30th, 1992. It was written by Sam Graham and Chris Hubble and directed by Frank Power. The plot of this episode is a young amateur detective, Sherman Grant, and his best friend, Roberta, witness the Penguin receiving a stolen Fabergé egg from his thugs. When Batman appears, Penguin hits him with a gas pellet that severely weakens him. Now it's up to Sherman and Roberta to protect him. Riddler Trophy right off the bat. Bruce Tibb hates this episode. Bruce Tibb, one of our favorite known writers, directors, producers, whatever you have it, is involved very seriously with Batman the Animated series calls this episode an example of what exactly what we don't want to do with batman and also noted that there was a lot of trouble with the storyboard artists noting that they didn't care and you could tell and on top of that our other riddler trophy is that this is unfortunately the first appearance of the penguin in batman the animated series so we have both the first appearance of an iconic villain and an episode that someone who's prominently involved in the show absolutely hates with all of uh the passion in their body but at the same time said that this episode for some reason really resonated with kids so it's very popular even though it's one that he specifically doesn't like what do you think about that well i don't hate it with all of my heart that's it's not i could i could be embellishing maybe a little bit of how seriously he dislikes it you know but what? it's L- on the wiki it was like he really doesn't like it don't don't edit that out because it's fucking hilarious i love <laughs> in my world that's how much bruce tim hates this episode he hates it with the hated heat, it hates it hates it with the heat of a thousand suns i don't hate it i i don't think i'm gonna rate it as low as i did the last thing that we watched but what I will say nearly is impossible, that, nearly impossible. Uh, <laughs> but I do appreciate that they kept design elements of Danny DeVito's Penguin while incorporating some more of his comic book personality. It comes across a little one note. It actually reminds me of Batman 1966's version of the Penguin. But at the same time, I just I find this version of the penguin interesting because he acts like he's a dandy but he still just looks really grotesque so i find the juxtaposition of those two things to be really just hmm interesting 
you actually uncovered another Riddler trophy there. The appearance of the Penguin in Batman the Animated Series was actually a directive from the studio to make Penguin look more like his Batman Returns Danny DeVito counterpart, which had the webbed fingers and the longer hair versus the classic Penguin design where he's more of like a prim and proper Englishman with shorter hair and... I did also like his characterization and the fact that he could communicate with other birds. I really liked how, and we'll get into the plot of the episode with the vultures' involvement, and I did like how eloquent he was and how he was like, uh, he almost gave me like fake smart guy vibes, like the like that guy from Goodwill Hunting at the bar that just knew how to quote all the books but didn't actually know anything real, and then and then you know Will got her number. How you like them apples? Mm-hmm. And so so I, I I actually really liked how he's presented. We'll get to other ways that he's presented because I think they do a really poor job of power leveling <laughs> Penguin in this episode, considering that he gets his absolute ass handed to him by twelve year olds the entire time, but. Let's get into the episode on that note. The initial heist of the episode is these two criminals are stealing this bright, glowing Fabergé egg, which we never understand what it's for other than it just is worth a lot, I guess. Uh, And Batman seems to have the drop on these two guys. Usually if Batman appears and you see him, it's too late. Um, But these two guys are saved by an entire vulture. A whole ass vulture comes down and and tears Batman up. I mean, and and maybe you can talk to this, Charlie. Like, it's very rare in this series that we see visual damage on Batman. Like, it takes. I feel like it's taken a lot to show actual damage on his costume or his cape or whatever. He walks away in the first three minutes of this episode with rips and tears absolutely everywhere. For our listeners, I just want you to... I'm going to read Steve's notes about this entire part just because I think it's funny and it made me chuckle. Steve, my my bestie and co-host Steve, wrote, Batman seems to have the drop on two criminals stealing a jewel egg, but an entire vulture swoops in and fucks Batman's entire day up. I mean, not no, not no... Isn't that exactly what I just said? It's exactly. I just, I thought it was really adorable the way that you wrote it. It, it That's how I cue myself. It made me me chuckle. It made me chuckle. Oh, thank you for seeing me. I I think that also just that vulture swooping in and attacking Batman. This episode doesn't make Batman look good. It definitely doesn't make the penguin look good. It's just very, I think that they were still finding the gravitas of the show and they got lucky that a lot of kids liked this episode because it's called I've Got Batman in My Basement. Doesn't do it for me, but I'm a adult, so what do I know? I can see the fantasy fulfillment for kids in this because of how prominently involved the two kids are. Speaking of which, this the, the kids that we're talking about, Sherman, who's like kind of the main detective, and his friend Roberta. So we have this kid with his detective kit, and he spots this vulture and is like, that's a vulture from South America. What is this thing doing here? Let's follow it, because that's what you do. And he ends up at this abandoned factory where the goons are hanging out, waiting for the penguin. We get the reveal of that the big bad guy is penguin of this episode. I actually, quick pause here, I was shocked when penguin came on screen the first time. I just like, I wasn't expecting an episode titled I've Got Batman in My Basement 
to feature Penguin as the villain. I didn't know. I honestly, I thought it was going to be a Joker episode. When I saw Penguin show up on screen, I grinned. I smiled so big. I was like, ah, it's the Penguin. I mean, I was mad later when I saw the results. <laughs> yeah, I, I was giddy when I first saw him step on screen. Fair enough. Well, we, we have the reveal of Penguin and the fact that the egg is for him and these kids are just not being stealthy and the vulture is about to get the drop on them but batman is there and has the drop on the vulture and wraps it up in a net and honestly it's kind of the kid's fault that batman gets hit with this gas pellet because he's distracted on getting them out of the building and i think that's kind of what allows penguin to get that shot off and batman gets hit with this gas and he's he's knocked out he's absolutely finished and these kids first feat of absolute superhuman strength the kids managed to get him in the batmobile and get in the batmobile and he's just like punching buttons wildly to try and get them out of there and first little riddler trophy right here is when sherman's punching through buttons some of the weaponry that's deployed throughout here is like really uncharacteristically lethal for someone like Batman who's taking a creed to never kill anybody, including a bank of missiles. Mm-hmm. But I, we could also levy that complaint on Christian Bale because that dude drives a fucking tank for three movies. Batman's carrying maybe a little bit too much heat for someone who's supposed to be uh, nonviolent to the point of we're not trying to kill anybody. But we've we've skated that line much more thinly than that before in this show. Oh, absolutely. And Batman Returns, not the animated series, he definitely blows some people up, but we'll unpack that later. In Batman the Animated Series, he definitely crushes people under the force of a weighted beam moving at no less than 40 miles per hour, so... In broad daylight. In broad daylight. <laughs> were, were there cameras there, too? Holy shit, it was in front of the mayor, you're right. Yeah. Oh my god. Good old Batman. So... Sherman drags our our good old unconscious friend Batman to his basement because where else would you bring Batman when he's unconscious? And I want to pause on this right here because I actually think this is a hilarious omission of lore. Sherman mentions to an unconscious Batman, sort of apologetically, that his basement is nothing like the Batcave. However, there's absolutely no reason for anyone in the general public to know that a Batcave exists. Hmm. What do you think about that? I don't hate it. If I were on the writing staff, I would have punched that up by having Batman, when he comes to his senses and wakes up, have him take a look around the basement, kind of scoping it out. And Sherman apologizes, like, oh my god, I'm, I'm sorry it's not super tidy in here. Feels like a cave. Batman looks at him. That wouldn't be a problem. See, that's why you're, that's why you're the writer, man. Yeah, or something that's like why that. You're the something like that. There could be a punch up to that punch up, but I think it should have been a back and it should have been a two hander or a back and forth instead of Sherman saying, "Oh, in your Batcave," because then it feels a little too meta and a little mm. too fan servicey. You know, Sherman didn't feel like a character, and that's one of the examples of him not feeling like a character. Well, the kids are down in the basement trying to figure out what's wrong with Batman, and the only two things he's really able to say before he passes out again are two words. He says capsules and visor, and they can't really figure out what that means. And as they're trying to figure out what that means, we get these two older kids who were established earlier in the episode as sort of like the antagonistic bullies in Sherman's life, and they throw a brick at some boxes. The mom's gone at this point, and 
reveal that the Batmobile is hiding somewhat inconspicuously under these cardboard boxes, and they're like, whoa, sick whip, bro, like, let's hop in and see what's going on. It doesn't take much effort for Keener Sherman to convince them that this is Batman's car, and as they start to wrap their heads around the fact that Batman's car is in Sherman's driveway, the vulture shows up again, which means that the penguin is not far behind. But before they run away from the Batmobile, they actually find these capsules that Batman was talking about. It's some antitoxin hanging out in his, what do they call those? The, not the, is, do they call those visors in cars? What am I talking about? The thing that you flip down and you have it block the sun uh, from your face? What's like so. the proper term for that? I think it's a visor. So the kids force Batman to take this capsule, but they're also like, Penguin's coming. Like, we're not going to be able to keep him out. We need to do something. And that's when this episode turns into Home Alone. Did this, did this come out before Home Alone? When did Home Alone come out? The first Home Alone, I believe it came out in 1990. And I think Home Alone Lost in New York was either 91 or 92. But it's 92. Definitely a Home Alone element. Yeah, I mean, setting up the house with Batman's booby traps to take out the hilariously incapable criminals is, like, as Home Alone as you can get. So I thought that was a really funny, like, oh, this is just Home Alone now. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. But, like, they use some of the gadgets. The the scene of Roberta and Sherman using the, the twirling ball on a rope thing to wrap up Penguin was, like, incredibly proficient, again, for 12-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And so, again, we're powering, scaling Penguin on the fact that he's constantly getting duped by 12-year-olds. <laughs> but then all of a sudden he's not, because he cuts out of his rope bindings, and they're out of tricks, and... Seemingly, when Penguin's about to kill Batman, Batman snaps out of his toxin-induced stupor, beats up Penguin, and everyone gets thrown in jail. Uh, There's a hilarious moment where you see in the paper that the vulture's now in the Gotham Zoo, which I feel like is so cruel and unusual for that poor bird. Mm -hmm. But I guess it was also trained to be a criminal bird, so I, I guess you needed to cage it up somehow. But that's that's the whole episode. Honestly, like, not a ton happens, and... So there's not that much to discuss. Like, Penguin shows up, knocks Batman out, and then a kid kind of foils his plans. That's that's what I've got Batman in my basement is. There is a fun moment at the end where his mom shows back up and is all pissed that her house is destroyed, but it's actually, like, it's because Batman was in her basement. And he's like, hey, Batman, are you single? For a chance? I mean... Th- that was good. That was the realest shit that actually improved my battering rating for the episode, because if I were the mom and i just saw this whole ass man dr- you know what actually i would probably pull my son away because batman's supposed to be scary i don't know if i were a parent and i just saw a grown man dressed like a bat i would be so chill about it but me knowing everything that i know about batman if i were to run into batman i would not blush and be like hey so what's your instagram i mean underneath all that armor is a pretty burly man oh absolutely it's gotta be the close friend story is probably it's a lot of muscles hitting. in there. It is hitting. The close friend story is probably hitting. Oh my god! <laughs> just hold on. Let's just take a moment and try and envision Batman's close friend story oh for just like two seconds. Oh my god! I feel like Batman. He's too rich to be a gym bro. He probably is fixing the curtains in like his sunroom just with his whole tidy whities on. It's like, it's so hard keeping this house up to par or just him taking selfies at the opera or 
I'm sure that Bruce Wayne, just to keep up his public persona, he definitely, he's good at social media. Bruce Wayne is good at social media, and he throws some thirst traps in there. So, so that's actually, you're getting to, I think that there's, you're talking about Bruce Wayne's close friends. I'm talking about Batman's. Oh. And I know that, like, see, the, I know that this is, like, a practice in, in like, the, uh, well, I mean, we're talking about an animated cartoon superhero, bat, but, like, Batman wouldn't necessarily have an internet presence, but, like, if Batman had a close friends list of, like, Aquaman and the Justice League, and I always say Aquaman because I just watched that shitty second movie, and, like, Superman, and he's, he's like, woke up mad at the world again today gonna beat up some bad guys (laughs) like stuff like that i just i just i imagine that internet presence but i also agree that i'm sure bruce wayne's like throwing up the like the poolside vegas selfies and like all the thirst traps what was the name of the girl that whose date he cancels with right at the beginning it's like candy or something like like that it's like something like that bunny it was bunny oh my it was bambi you're right oh my god (laughs) Any of those could work. Yeah, they, they, they feel the same. They feel the same. But I definitely think, or or if Bruce Wayne has a IG, I don't think he'd show too much body because he wouldn't want people mm. to suspect that he could be Batman. Because as soon as you see the body, oh, yeah. it's it's over in more ways than one. Because... He, because he's... Well, for you. <laughs> because he's... Because he's too jacked to for a billionaire or because he's going to literally have battle scars battle scars okay all right yeah i see that because you can get away with just being like i'm a billionaire i got time i got body like what do you what do you want me to do i got time and resources i of course I'm. it also depends on which Um, version of batman because like the robert pattinson version of batman not jacked he's athletic but he's not super jacked but like if it were more the Ben Affleck version of Batman that was just yoked. I think people might have not if not questions, they'd be like, who's your personal trainer? That's true. I'd like to with those two Batman specifically, and can you tell how much we like this? We're just gonna go far off the rails with this discussion. Those two Batman specifically sat under a lot of armor. Mm. I mean Batfleck was like basically a walking tank, but even the Matt Reeves Robert Pattinson, Batman, like, had to armor up in a way. Like, he took a lot of... They both take a lot of gunfire in those movies. That This Batman doesn't have that armor. And, like, he's either avoiding the hits or you're seeing the hits, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And I think you also have to be a little bit more physically capable to do some of the stuff that that Batman does. So I think that one... Kevin Conroy jacked out of his brain... Ben Affleck still uses the technology, even though he probably has a little bit of a roid habit. Robert Pattinson's fucking eating Cheetos on the couch, waiting for a suit to do the work. That's what's happening there. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Just still, still, still banking on his metabolism being fast. Like us. Anyway, that's enough talk about the the. Bu- <laughs> yeah, like us. Uh, well, that's that's enough talk on the body structures of our different Batmans. Let's let's get into this final Batarang rating and, and take ourselves on home for this episode. Charlie, you went first on the last one, so I'll go first on this one. I am giving I've Got Batman in My Basement a Batarang rating of one and a half Batarangs. Liked it a little bit more than the episode we watched before this, but. Jeez, these were two duds, and that's a bummer. Oh, yeah. I'm going to give this one battering. 
because it's the first appearance of the penguin and i appreciate again that he looks grotesque but he has a lot of the mannerisms of someone in high society that is going to pay off big time in one of the penguin centric episodes we've got coming up so i'm excited for you to see that cool well at least this one gave us something to look forward to well, that is going to do it for this episode of Charlie and Steve Watch Stuff. If you haven't already, give us a follow on Instagram at Charlie and Steve Watch Stuff Pod. We always post our battering ratings there under a fancy little graphic. We would love to hear your battering ratings for these episodes and any other episodes you've watched just by commenting and following along and liking the posts. That really, really helps us out. Also, give this podcast a rating if you haven't already, whether you're listening on Spotify. Spotify or Apple or Amazon or anywhere else you're listening to your podcast, any sort of rating would be wonderful. Five stars obviously is the best kind of rating that we're looking for, but we're always looking for your feedback and anything else. So for myself, Steve Stelnick, and my good friend Charlie Peppers, we will look forward to being with you in the next episode where we cover, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm just going to go ahead and say the classic Batman the Animated Series episode, Heart of ice along with a little surprise that we'll be giving to you at the end of the episode so we'll look forward to see you on the next one bye friends bye